All right, 7 o'clock, we have a large uh, contingent of guests. We'll uh, kick it off right now. Corey Stern, you know him well. Partner over at uh, Levy Konigsberg. uh, Does a great job. National uh, reputation Mr. Stern has for his work regarding sexual abuse cases. And uh, certainly the uh, the governor's signature regarding legislation uh, extending now the look-back window under the Child Victims Act, and we say a very good morning to Mr. Stern. Corey, how are you? I hope you're doing okay. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. How are you doing? A stormy Monday it is uh, right here on the island, but uh, a stormy Tuesday, excuse me. Uh, but uh, we're getting ready for it. Um, so in essence, uh, Corey, the legislation signed yesterday extends now the uh, special filing period by one full year. Is that correct, sir? That's right. Uh, COVID um, has certainly affected every walk of life across the world. And as you know, this the, the original statute, which was passed in February of 2019, um, allowed people to start filing lawsuits if they had been sexually abused. They were permitted to file lawsuits starting in August of 2019, and it was set to expire in August 2020. Uh, the governor had originally extended it by uh, an indefinite period of time, during the pandemic when it started, and then the uh, state legislature passed the statute uh, officially extending it for another year, and the governor just signed it yesterday. You know, it's so important. I thought this was uh, really great because, you know, with this COVID crisis, um, it's upended our courts. It's upended everything, our economy and everything else. And just to kind of have this in mind with the governor as far as signing this thing and extending the uh, Child Victims Act for an additional year, um, and, uh, you know, it's good to see that the rights of survivors here of this are given top priority with all that's going on because, you know, it's a clouded picture right now, Court. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's always a balancing act. You know, a lot of the acts that would lead a survivor to file a lawsuit today in 2020 may have occurred 40, 50, 60 years ago. And so our Constitution provides people with a right to due process, uh, you know, a right to a fair trial. And sometimes an argument could be made that it's difficult to get a fair trial decades after something that someone's accusing you of may have happened. And so if it's a doctor abusing a child, you know, you have nurses that were present or staff members that were present. Well, most of them may be dead. You know, if you have a, a, a Boy Scout troop leader or a, a, a priest or somebody else associated with the Catholic Church, if a child was seven or eight and the person was 30 or 40, you know, 50, 60 years later, that, that person and those witnesses are likely dead. And so there was a fear, I think, at least I had, and I know other lawyers shared when the first statute passed, that it, it could get struck down as unconstitutional. And actually, it was challenged. It was challenged in Nassau County. Um, the, the Archdiocese of Rockville Center filed the first challenge. And it wasn't um, an accident that that's where they filed their challenge and they picked a venue that they thought would be most likely to, to side with them. And fortunately for victims, uh, relatively quickly, the court found that it was constitutional. No question. Corey Stern, Libby Konigsberg, talking about the Child Victims Act. We're talking about the extension now, a year. Uh, you have some time here, folks. Let's go over a couple of facts here, Corey, as far as those uh, listening in want to know what it's all about, increasing the, the amount of time during which perpetrators of these crimes may be held criminally accountable. Uh, also, another key one here, 
Uh, it allows victims of these crimes to commence a civil lawsuit at any time before they reach uh, 55 years of age. That's key right there, if you can elaborate on that. Yeah, so I'm an uncomplicated person, but it's a complicated statute to try and explain, so I'll do my best to uncomplicate it. When it comes to the civil side, if if someone prior to 2019 had been abused, they had until either their 18th birthday or 19th birthday, or in some instances their 20th birthday, to file a lawsuit. That was changed, whereas now, if someone is abused today, if a child is abused today, that child has until they're 55. What the statute also does is for someone whose statute of limitations had expired, and so they were no longer allowed to ever file a lawsuit because they missed the deadline. They now have a window of what was one year but has now been extended to two years to file a lawsuit. And so it's sort of done away with, for now a period of two years, any moment in time that had previously passed for you to file. So it's not that any victim of sexual abuse ever in New York State as a child has until they're 55. What it is is that anybody who's abused now and the statute of limitations has not expired, they have until they're 55. And if the statute did expire for you or for your father or for your grandfather or for your child or your brother, that person then has now two years from August of 2019 meaning that on August 14th, 2021, that statute of limitations would expire. Boy, I tell you, that is confusing. Uh, <laughs> there were a lot of moving parts in there. But, uh, you know, again, we're talking a civil law- lawsuit at any time, victims of, of these types of crimes, uh, folks, at any time uh, before they reach 55 years of age. But then there's a couple little caveats in there. Um Let's, let's go to the third one. Providing survivors seeking to file actions against public-private institutions for previously time-barred claims. Uh, again, they kind of get a new opportunity for their day in court, right, by, by opening kind of a one-year window, now extended, by the way, to two years, uh, for them to commence their civil action. Is that correct, sir? Yeah, so that's that last funky part that I just sort of explained. And, and the reason for it is, is that um, history shows... Uh, Science shows, life shows that most victims of sexual abuse, and in particular men, they do not talk about it, act upon it, bring it up, or seek therapy or help for it until well after they're 18 years old or 19 years old. And so to previously have maintained a statute of limitations that by the very nature of the damage done to a child likely would have never Um, cause someone to file a lawsuit because of how damaged they were and the fact that they don't really talk about it until later, it was somewhat nonsensical. And so now what the statute permits and sort of acknowledges is that, you know, someone who in 1965 was abused at eight years old by a physician in Manhattan was unlikely to tell their parents about it then, was unlikely to tell the teachers about it then, was unlikely to tell a different doctor about it then. But now, years later, you know, 50 years later, 55 years later, they're far more likely to realize the effect that it's had on them. And so those are the folks who really benefit from this. The other part of it that's, that's you know, uh, sort of been taken into account is we live in a different world today than we did six months ago, let alone 60 years ago. And so if something were to happen to my kids, 
and they were to come home from, from camp or from school, it's more likely that a kid today, because of the way society has evolved and the things we talk about to our kids at school, things that parents talk to their kids about, it's far more likely that a kid today will t- would tell their parents. The generation of people that lived in the 1950s as children and 60s and children as children and somewhat in the 70s as children, at least you know prior to the to the Vietnam War and and, and the civil rights movement, um, that generation was more of a just put some dirt on it and you know move on kind of generation. And so they weren't encouraged to talk about things like did the doctor touch you inappropriately? Did the coach touch you inappropriately? Did your scoutmaster touch you inappropriately? Why did the church why did the church elder want you to stay later even though you were an altar boy and, and there were no services occurring? And so it acknowledges the two main parts that, that caused people to from that generation not really do much about it. One is science and the natural inability of kids to discuss things that innately happen to them that are wrong but they don't really know are wrong. And two, a generation of parents and grandparents who kind of were very blue-collar and, and let's just go to work and rub some dirt on it. That's a great point, really. Think about that, folks. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have discussions way back in time. There was nothing like this. You know, did, did parents sit down with you way back and say, you know what, be careful here, let us know if anything goes. You know, you didn't have that because you didn't think of that. We, we didn't know. And that's an excellent point. It's a game changer of what's happening in our society right now. And um, and Corey just brings up uh, a sensational point there. Uh, also, uh, judicial training. Uh, this is a requirement as well, Corey, right, with respect to crimes involving the sexual abuse of minors, if you can explain that a little. Sure. So, so the statute also acknowledges that there could be and likely will be, and in fact there has been, an influx or, or just a large amount of filings that obviously would not have previously happened because previously you weren't allowed to file these cases. And so, number one, judicial resources is always an issue in our society, in our state, and in our court system. And so knowing in advance that there's going to be a plethora of lawsuits filed, you need to have the resources and in particular the judges and staff to handle those cases. As or more importantly, you're not talking about filing cases that any of these judges in the Supreme Courts across the state of New York have ever really dealt with because previously cases involving sexual abuse that happened five decades ago were not permitted to be filed. And so there is, I mean, judges are always very smart and judicious, you know, by nature, but it doesn't mean that they or the lawyers who handle the cases always know everything, because if it's cases that haven't previously been handled, there's going to be a learning curve associated with the subject matter and substance of those cases. And so the statute, I think, rightly requires that there's some level of training for judges and their staff and, 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 and frankly, you know, the judicial system about cases that have previously never been handled. And so it's a good thing, you know, what, what that training involves and how long it takes and what's required of judges. You know, I, they're not going to be taking a test at the end, you know, where it's pass-fail, uh, but it's, it's good to know that the legislature and, and ultimately the governor at least acknowledge that this is, this is unchartered territory. These waters haven't really been sailed in New York, in New York State, and it's important that if it's going to be done, and now it is, that it's done right. No question. Uh, and that's why everybody has to be on the same page. This is why you have to have the the training 
uh, when needed with this. This is new territory for a lot of folks out there. So uh, important stuff. Now, before we let you go, we're going to have you on last week. um, And there was a story regarding a North Babylon man um, and alleges that he was sexually abused. I'm going back about 23 years. If memory serves me correct, he was around 14 school psychologists here uh, in the spotlight. First at a Bellport school for troubled youths and later uh, at West Islip High School. So uh, this 37-year-old Frank Milo um, was an emotionally troubled individual, uh, but being taken advantage of by the psychologist, uh, this Teresa Rayberg, and it was a six-month, uh, from what we read, uh, Corey Stern, relationship, sexual relationship. So the suit names Rayberg. Uh, of Cinema Riches, goes by another name now, Teresa Stecker, works as a psychologist uh, over at the middle school, West Islip, and uh, you, sir, are representing Mr. Milo, is it Milo? I think it's Milo. Um, You, sir, are representing uh, Mr. Milo. Um, We were going to have you on last week, something had occurred. What can you tell us? Another troubling story here. We keep hearing these. Very troubling story here. What can you say? First of all, the the facts of the case are obviously being disputed, and so uh, you know any lawsuit that's filed are uh, contains allegations. And for us, you know, as a law firm and me as a lawyer, I I always need to feel confident uh, in the story that's told by my client and in the um, you know and in what the allegations contain. And in this case, I am and I was, and, and Mr. Milo claims that. As a 14-year-old, he acknowledges he was a troubled youth. Uh, you know, came from a home that wasn't, you know, wasn't necessarily a perfect home. Um, he was in a special school where he encountered the child psychologist, and claims now, years and years later, that he was groomed to be involved with her in a in a sexual relationship, and that. Uh, when the time came for her to switch schools to the West Babylon school, she actually lobbied for him with school administration to get him into the school, which in fact occurred, and that the relationship continued during that period of time. And and since then, you know, for the two decades that have passed or so since since that occurred, you know, as a 14-year-old, he's, you know, he's now in his, in his mid-30s, the effect that the relationship has had on him has been devastating to his life. And there's a stigma, I think, associated with male-female type relationships um, in schools. Uh, data shows that individuals are far more um, inclined to believe women who claim they were abused by men, uh, whereas they're less inclined to believe when men claim they were abused by women. Um, you look at a number of stories over the past few decades where female teachers have been prosecuted for um, for the relationships that they created with their male students, and oftentimes it's glamorized. I mean, you can look at various websites which show um, you know the teachers and and find pictures of them and how attractive they may look. And so, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult case because the the psychologist I think is is claiming that. It didn't happen the way that that our client says it it did. Um, she actually filed, and a lot of lawyers wouldn't necessarily admit this on a on a public you know TV or radio show, but 
She actually filed a, a request for a temporary restraining order against him, alleging that over the years he sought money from her and counsel from her. But but it's, it's hard sometimes when you file a pleading like that because it's very instructive and informative about other issues. And so, for instance, even though she denies the allegations, one of the details in the request for the restraining order acknowledges that there was an, an intimate relationship, and it acknowledges that they traveled together, that you know they were you know they, they went on trips together, and so while on the one hand maybe she feels threatened by him uh, in no small part because he filed a lawsuit and it has to do with you know with with her employment, you know on the other hand there's some admissions contained in that document that from thirty thousand feet you know, could could be detrimental to the civil defense of, of her case. So, listen, these cases are really, really complicated, and they change people's lives, and the events that lead to the lawsuits change people's lives, and it doesn't give anyone, I think, pleasure in, in filing these cases. Um, they're difficult. They're, they're, they're difficult emotionally, whichever side you're on, but... Ultimately, if a client um, has a story that's credible, uh, believable, and um, seems as though it drastically affected or even subtly or slightly affected his or her life as a lawyer who handles these types of cases, it's important, one, to vet the story, and two, to, to file, file on behalf of that individual if you can't resolve it first. And every case that's ever been filed, I think, comes with doubt. During during the filing period, when um, you know when a client alleges things that you can't believe someone could have actually perpetrated upon them, in this case, I have such a better feeling and a good feeling about the integrity and validity of his story in light of what she filed subsequently, which says there was in fact an intimate relationship. And so we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see how it bears out. Uh, I have no doubt that it's going to fully make its way through the court system. I can't envision a scenario where she turns around now and says, well, I changed my story. It did happen. And because of that, a jury's going to have to decide. And it's going to it'll probably go on for two, two and a half, maybe three years before it turns out um, that a jury makes a decision, as you're, as you're aware from your own marriage, you know, what juries do and don't do sometimes. You have no real control over, but we're pretty confident in this case. It's a tricky one. 28 years in the business this woman has. No, no, those, no allegations from what I've read uh, from the past. Very tricky. Frank, 14 at the time. Um, you know, the woman, uh, you know, wanted wanted Frank to go to uh, the the transfer as far as the, the next institution where she went. Uh, there is a lot of moving parts here, but we'll keep an eye on this. And I'm, and I'm sure you will keep us abreast as far as what's going on. Um Always a pleasure, Corey. Good stuff today. Lots of news happening here. And I look forward to the next Thank time, you. my friend. Yeah, I hope you and all your listeners and your staff stay stay and remain healthy with COVID. And uh, I hope sometime soon when we talk, it'll be in a, a, different, a different way and a different time. Uh, and, and the world changes a little bit for the better. You ain't kidding. The great uh, Corey Stern, uh, Libby Konigsberg. Uh, Corey, thanks so much. You stay well as well. Um, Thank you. I appreciate you.